Good morning, Community Heights family. Welcome this morning back to the building. You know, this isn't a church, right? When you all aren't here, it's nothing but a hulking, cavernous, empty, lonely place. But when the church shows up, then it's the time of the week, right? And here you are. So welcome. It's good to have you here. We are in week four of the series called The Life of the Church. The Life of the Church. And again, it's not the life of the building, but it's the life of the people who are the church. And this week, we are on the box that says relationships. Relationships. Um, if you look up on the screen, uh, the next slide, it reminds us of what we've talked about the last few weeks. We see that our purpose, our purpose is to love. That's the purpose that Jesus has given us. And we practice that love in three areas, in relationships, in our service to Jesus and to others, and in our worship of the triune God. And those practices result in a couple things. They result in our growth as believers, and they result in the growth of the body of Christ. They result in the expansion of the church as the body of Jesus loves and serves others on the planet more others come to faith in Jesus Christ. And the outcome is maturing believers, believers who God is uh, continuing to work in. And the Bible says in, I think it's Philippians, that he is faithful to complete that good work that he started. And uh, as you can see by the next slide, it all works up. It starts at the bottom and it just works up. But if you don't have the bottom, there's nothing to work up because The essence of the king is love. The currency and culture of the kingdom is love. And the active ingredient, the active ingredient in any body of believers is love. And if there's no love there, it's just a club. It's like a placebo. You know, well, it's a pill, but it doesn't do anything, right? It just tastes good. And uh, some pills don't even taste good. And so churches without the active ingredient without love, really it accomplishes nothing. It accomplishes nothing. And then the thick black line in between what is God's work and what is our work. And we can't mistake that. We can't mistake that. Otherwise, we get our our church culture and church practice all mixed up. And uh, I've been a part of mistaking that as a pastor, as a church leader. I've been a part of mistaking that and really to the detriment of whatever church I was serving at the time. There's only been a couple. But I've been a part of that until I realized that it is God who does the growing of the church and the growth of the individual. It's God who's doing that good work in each of us. And all we have to do is love in all the areas that we practice love in. Over on this side, the we need, we need bad, scary music for the, the anti-boxes. The anti-box for relationships is network. It's network. It's when we look at people, we see them as tools that we can leverage for our advantage. But when we see people the way Jesus saw them, we see relationships. In the anti-boxes, you've got a motivation, and that's self. And then instead of having practices, you really have a strategy. 
You have a strategy to reach your goals. And the strategy is to use people. It is to do things to enhance your image. And then it's to just go along in the church world and you're really just doing works because you're working out of self. And the goals are success and to build your reputation all to uh, achieve some kind of a status. In, in order to be somewhere and be somebody. And the ironic thing is that God makes us somebodies. And he takes us, he's taking us somewhere. And so with God, it's always better. Now, today, again, we're going to talk about relationships. One of the three practices, that areas that we practice love in. In June of 1986, my wife and I got married. And uh, since then, I don't know how many weddings I've done. I haven't kept track. But one of the f- my favorite things to do in local church ministry is to marry people. Because I get the best seat in the house. I'm usually, in fact, I never even sit down. I get to stand so I can see everything. So I stand here, right? And, and I have a groom and a bride. And I get to see within less than probably no more than a yard are their faces. I see all the expression. I see the, the, I see the glistening, you know, tears in the corner of their eyes as they share their vows with one another. And uh, I get to see them when I say, do you? And they say, I do. I do. And then my favorite part of the wedding is at the end when I get to say, and my... My dad always had this joke, you know, he always played the minister in this joke, and he'd say, by, by the power invested in me by the state of Iowa and the Department of Motor Vehicles, I now pronounce you husband and wife. I've never said that, I've never said that, but I do say, because you've committed to yourselves uh, before all of us and before God and all of us as witnesses to this holy covenant of marriage, of marriage or matrimony, I now pronounce that you are husband and wife. And it's a moment for me, if nobody else. It's a moment for me because I realize 50 years from today, they're going to be celebrating their 50th anniversary. And they're going to have kids and grandkids and maybe some greats around them. And I will have been there within touching distance when they first said, I do. And you know, when they say I do, and when I said I do to my wife, that fundamentally and permanently changed my relationship with every other woman on the planet. I mean, no question. I mean, no question, right? And when she said, I do to me, it fundamentally and permanently changed her relationship with every other man on the planet. I mean, is there there a question there? There's no question. So when we start our conversation about relationships, Let's understand that when we said yes to Jesus, the king of relationships, the king of creation, the one who created us all, when we say yes to Jesus, that fundamentally and permanently changes our relationship to every other person on the planet. And Jesus then can dictate what those relationships are going to be. And he's decided to dictate. But Let's look in Luke chapter 14 for a minute. It'll be up on the screen, uh, but if you want, Luke 14, verse 25. This is kind of an unlikely passage to be reading about relationships, but let's look at it. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, hate even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple." 
And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. This is the call to discipleship that compared to our relationship with Jesus, it would be as though, and this is, this is a shock statement for Jesus to grab the attention of his listeners. It would be as though we, we would hate our own parents in comparison. Jesus wants to be the center of our life and the supreme relationship that informs all other relationships that we have. That's the call to discipleship. Discipleship means being a follower of Jesus. Discipleship isn't some fancy program that a church uses, and they get curriculum, and they get fancy posters, and a schedule, and all this stuff. And if you come to these classes, discipleship is a state of being a follower of Jesus Christ. If I'm in friendship with you, it's a state of me being a friend to you, us being friends. So discipleship is a state of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ. And that means something. That, that, in, that informs how we talk to people, how we treat people, how we think about people. So when we say, I do, to Jesus, that fundamentally and permanently change, changes and informs every other relationship, relationship in our life. Jesus is saying that our relationship with him must supersede all other relationships. So we don't get to pick how we interact with people because we said, I do to Jesus. And from the top, it flows down, and he gives us some instruction on how our relationships should be. So just to quickly review, we've looked at some of these instructions. He actually said, and I'm going to just read the blueprint because these are the uh, things that we focused on. Love the Lord your God. That's our command from Jesus determining our relationship with God. We're to love him. And then love your neighbor as yourself. That's our command from Jesus on how our relationships with each other should be. And then he says something, and, and you may get tired of hearing me say this, but this next phrase that he says is the most amazing phrase in, uh, to me, one of, okay, one of the most amazing phrases in all the Bible. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commands. They all hang on these two commands. Then Paul goes on in Romans 13, and he says the commandments, and then he briefly quotes a few of them, and then he says, and whatever other command there is, it doesn't matter. Any other command, it's all summed up in this one command. And he even shrinks it down just to one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the commandments there in verse 9 that he quotes are all the interpersonal commandments, right? They're not the first four commandments between us and God. They're the interpersonal ones. He says they're all summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. It's the fulfillment of the law. In Galatians, he says it again. He says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, faith doesn't express itself through believing. That's not how faith expresses itself. Because it is believing. That's redundant. It's the department of redundancy department, right? Faith does not express itself through believing. Faith expresses itself. Believing expresses itself through love, Paul says. 
And then Paul says again in Galatians 5.14, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. It's so interesting. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, who's going to determine all our relationships, has decided to ask us to treat each other the way he treated us. He's the one who loved us and came down to serve us and to give himself for us, and he's asking us to do the same thing. He's asking us to treat each other the way he treated us. That's a funny coincidence, isn't it? Kind of interesting that he would ask that. You know, nowhere else in the Bible except for one other place is there such a summation of all the commands of God. And if you were a believer in the 70s and 80s, you would remember this verse from Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Now all has been heard, because it seemed to get a lot of play in the 70s and 80s. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. In the King James, it says, for this is the, is the whole duty of man, is to fear God and keep his commandments. That was great preaching. Us pastors could just tell you, do what the Bible says. Fear the Lord, he's to be feared, and do what the Bible says. Well, that's really good, but that's not all the gospel. Um, it's some of the gospel, but it's not all the gospel, because God, the very God who this says to fear, which we know it doesn't mean to be afraid and, and shake in our boots. It, it's to realize the awesomeness of God and to reverence a God who is wholly transcendent and completely other than us and to recognize this awesome God whom we reverence and we stand in awe of. We're to keep his commandments. So to be clear, this God became flesh and came down and lived with us. And while he was here, he gave a command. It's in John 13. And he said, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. He said, as I have loved you. You guys, we think this is optional. We do. It's not optional. I act like, like it's optional. Like I get to a fork in the road and I act like there's a real fork there. There's no fork. There's only one direction, see? It's the call to discipleship. It's the call to being a follower of Jesus. The way of Jesus is the way of love. And he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are what? that you've taken the call to discipleship, that you are my disciples. Everyone will know, everyone will know, you'll give it away. You will give it away that you're a follower of me if you love one another. That's the mark. That's the active ingredient. That's the 666 on our forehead. Not for the Antichrist, but for the Anaboxes, but for the God of love. The mark of our, on our forehead for the God of love is love. It's treating other people with love, with, with extravagant, extraordinary, unusual love. Not love that they deserve, but it's more loving when they don't deserve it. So even when we don't deserve it, we like to receive love, and even when somebody doesn't deserve it, 
I don't know who does. We love. This is the call to discipleship. This is the call to being a follower of Jesus. And if you've signed up for that, by the way, it's the best way. It's the best life. It's so much better. Loving is so much better than judging or holding a grudge or sizing up somebody and finding them lacking. Loving is a much better way. Hey, let's look at three marks of loving relationships uh, in the second half of this message. Number one, loving relationships move people out of isolation and into community. My good friend Steve in 2012 was living in his basement basically when he wasn't working. And when he was working, he was hiding in his office, afraid that somebody was going to find out that he was completely psychologically and mentally incapacitated to do his job. And he was isolated. He was around people. He was an IT guy. And so people would call him and give him, talk to him about their problems, IT problems. He'd get mad and he'd get frustrated. He was isolated. And somebody from the church saw him at work and found out through a third party that he was going through some depression. And so he invited him in and he said, hey, Steve, I hear you're going through depression. I've been through depression. Tell me about it. And this went on for weeks. And this relationship continued for a couple months. And after a while, he uh, gave him a book and he read this book about Jesus. It was the original good news. And he realized, oh my goodness, God loves me. I don't have to perform. I don't have to perform for God. I don't have to measure up for God. Jesus paid it all. Jesus did it all. And his grace is complete toward me. And little by little, little by little, he moved out of isolation and he moved into community with the people, uh, with some of the folks at our church. He first got connected to this one guy, and this guy invited him to meet with him on a somewhat regular basis just to talk, just to talk. And they talked, and then he invited he and his wife to come over to his house. They had some people that were coming over. They just kind of do life together. You can come over. They're good friends. And so they came over, and after a few weeks, his wife said to him as they're going home, you know this is one of those like small group Bible study things, don't you? He's like, no. Yeah, this is like, they're like the church group that's meeting there. Oh, I don't know. And then after a while, they invited them to come to the Sunday morning thing that they were doing, studying this book that he had read, and they came. And little by little, he inched his way into community. And today he's in community with people. He's not isolated. He's known. He's loved. He's appreciated. The prodigal son story is an interesting story. Moving out of isolation into community. Because the younger son took all the loot and he went off to party. And he was partying in community with other people. He was spending it like there was no tomorrow. Everybody was his friend. He was around people. And then one day came and his money ran out. And his luck ran out. And maybe the dice weren't rolling right that day. And he he ran out. And he became so destitute, he ends up in the pig pen. And he's isolated with the pigs eating what they're eating. But the truth is, the younger brother, he was isolated before he ever got into the pig pen. See, because isolation isn't being alone. 
Isolation is not being known. Isolation is when nobody knows you, and if they know you, they don't care. And so he thought he had all these friends. He thought they were partying hardy, and he had all these friends. They were only there for what? For the network, for whatever he could give them. And then when their leverage of him fell short, they dumped him. He, he had no community. He had no relationships. A loving relationship doesn't leverage somebody else, but it moves people from being isolated, just not known and nobody really cares about them, to being known in community where people do care, where, they, where you're known and you're loved because of what people know about you. And by the way, that kind of love, it doesn't matter what they know about you. What matters is that you're known. We talked about this a little bit last week at the men's retreat. We talked about being known, and we talked about wearing a mask. And when we wear a mask, the only thing people can see is the mask. And if they love the mask, they're loving the mask. They're not loving the real us. And real love is when people see the real thing, the good, the bad, the ugly. And on your worst day, they still love you, and you're still accepted, and you're known and appreciated. You know, it says in uh, Luke 15, verse 22, that the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate. We clap for this little girl who came to Jesus that's represented by this, uh, by this candle. And the Bible says that the angels in heaven rejoice, right, when one sinner comes to repentance. He says, let's celebrate for this son of mine. The father knows the son. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. It kind of reminds me of one of those values of the alliance. Lost people matter to God. He wants them found. You know, for those of you who have adult kids, and even any age kids, the cool thing about it as a parent, the cool thing is to look at your kid and, and for, for me, my kids are adults, uh, but, but one isn't even 30 yet, but almost 30. But you look at your kid and you remember the day they were born, and every day until today. You see the whole span of their life. You know them in ways that they don't know themselves. You've had a front row seat to the drama that's been their life. And here was the good, good father He was out looking for the sun, and he sees the sun in the distance. He already knows the sun. The sun is known by him. The sun is loved by him. And he runs to the sun, and he embraces the sun. And the sun is is holding back. I'm dirty. I'm dirty. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. I'll I'll just be a servant. And the father's like, "Uh uh-uh. No. I know you. I love you. The son of mine. My son my son. Let's party. Kill the fattened calf. Bring the gold ring. We're going to have a party. We're going to celebrate. Loving relationships, they move people from isolation into community. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive. He brought us out of the isolation of sin and death, and he brought us into community with the triune God. The second mark of a loving relationship is that it moves us beyond the surface and toward depth and honesty. Beyond the surface 
and to gut level depths and honesty. The rich young ruler came to my mind in Mark chapter 10. He comes to Jesus and he says, uh, good master, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, hey, you know the commandments. Thou shalt this, thou shalt that, thou shalt not this, thou shalt not that. He says, I've kept all those commandments since my youth. Now here was a good guy. Probably either he was really a proud liar, or he was a pretty good guy and he was being honest. Who knows? He was trying to, that would be works over there, works instead of worship. He's kept all the commandments since his youth. That's different than loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But Jesus looks at him and says, have you ever noticed that? Did you hear my voice just get real higher? Have you ever noticed that? Jesus looked at him and loved him. He loved him. One thing you lack, he said, he's getting honest. Beyond the surface, into honesty, into depth, One thing you lack, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Was that a loving relationship on Jesus' side? Yeah. He told him the truth. And and, uh, who who was it? Uh, And Mark, if if Mark wrote this gospel, Mark was careful to note, He loved him. He loved him. There's no question that Jesus telling him that truth was a loving thing to do because Jesus was loving him as he told him. But he walked away. Sometimes loving people means making hard, having hard conversations. Remember the woman at the well last week? Jesus came to her, and Jesus was honest with her, and she was honest with him. And she didn't walk away sad. She went away happy and rejoicing and brought more back to Jesus. Loving relationships move away. They move away from the surface. Because the surface is like, let's see, who can I safely pick on? Nick? Yeah? Yo, Nick, what's up? Oh, good. Hey, how you doing? Good? Yeah, good. You too? Yeah, good. Okay, cool. See you at the Y. I mean, you've been at the Y. I've been AWOL. Instead of YMCA, A-W-O-L. Well, I'm working on it, though. Um, That's surface, right? You and I know each other. Just surface, really surface. By the way, I'm sorry. I hope I'm not embarrassing you in front of all these people. Um, But that's just surface. Nick, let's let's get together after church. I want to know what you're really struggling with. Oh, that's uncomfortable. I mean, that assumes that he's really struggling with something. Well, now I'm already in it, right? Now I'm in trouble because I've just said that maybe somebody in the room is really struggling with something. But I know Nick can handle this, see? I know Nick can handle this because I've seen him lift weights. Um, Moves beyond the surface and into depth and honesty. That's love. And that's hard. It's not easy. It's hard. And Jesus did it with the rich young ruler. Jesus did it with the woman at the well. In Ephesians 4, you guys will remember this passage where it says that Jesus gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. Amen. Everybody knows that verse. But, but keep, keep reading here. Until we all reach unity 
in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, right? We're maturing, we're becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, from Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So we're growing and maturing, but part of that is speaking the truth in love. And part of that is growing and building itself up in love as we as we align ourselves with Jesus Christ, as we determine that our relationship with Jesus informs all the other relationships in our lives. The third mark of a loving relationship is that a loving relationship moves us away from safety and toward generosity. Away from safety and toward generosity. In Acts chapter 4, there's a passage here that describes how the early believers lived. And a, a couple of years ago, several years ago now, um, I had a couple in my church come to visit me in my office. And they were upset. And they were on their way out. And they said to me, the reason why we're upset is that we've heard what you've been saying on Sunday mornings. We've heard the words you've been using. You're actually, you actually believe in liberation theology and socialism. You believe in the redistribution of wealth. And I thought, you know, how do you answer that, right? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, well, what do you mean by that? I mean, there was so much thrown around. Finally, I had to say to them, if, if the words of Jesus represent something that you hear in the culture from a cultural group or a political party or whatever, I'm really sorry, but they're just the words of Jesus, right? Because the teachings of Jesus, as followers and disciples of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus supersede and inform our lives and our beliefs and our values before any other teachings in the culture or the world. So if we're allowing our culture to decide how, our culture to decide how we're going to interpret the teachings of Jesus, that's wrong, that's bad. If we're going to allow our political party to determine how we see Scripture, that's wrong, that's bad. Scripture and the teachings of Jesus and the value of the king, the values of the king, they interpret everything else in culture for us. Culture doesn't interpret God's word or Jesus' teaching. Jesus' teaching interprets culture. And what, what is said here in Acts chapter 4 is a teaching about how the early believers lived out their faith in Jesus, their love for Jesus, and, and after that, their love for each other. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace, it was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. That's how the early church lived out their faith. They moved from safety and keeping it all for themselves, and they moved to generosity. So from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. Y'all own too many houses in here. Y'all own too much land. 
let's get selling some of these houses and land. Amen? Let's line up people over here who have needs, and let's line up people over here who, who have means, and let have the means meet the needs. You're all looking at me like, uh, how serious is he? You guys, I just got done saying, this is the call to discipleship. Now, just hear me out. Don't get nervous. This is the call to discipleship. That our, our walk with Jesus and our, our being a follower of Jesus, it informs and impacts everything else we do. So if I'm accumulating for myself without at the same time being a conduit of generosity to others, I'm not being very much like Jesus. Our culture, our culture teaches us to do that in a lot of areas. And as believers, we're careful, right? We're careful to be responsible, to be able to do what Paul teaches in the New Testament, work with our own hands so that we have enough to take care of our own selves and our own family, and we can take care of others who are in need. So is having means bad? No, it's not bad at all. But when we keep them for safety's sake and then depend on our means instead of on God, then that's bad. So we depend on God, we work hard, He gives us means, we take care of our own, we share with others, and we look for people to meet needs with. And that's, that's the way of Jesus. That was the way of the early church. So in their context, they would sell a house or sell some land, and they would bring the money to the apostles' feet, and they distributed it to anyone who had need. Man, that sounds like a buzzword, Pastor. That sounds like the redistribution of wealth. Well, I don't know what it is. It's just Acts chapter 4, verse 32 to 35. And you can call it whatever you want, but you've got to practice it in some way. If we don't engage this at all, are we, are we very good followers of Jesus? See, all these things we have to wrestle with, and it's good to wrestle with this stuff. It's good to think through, how am I living out my faith? How am I practicing love? And a loving relationship moves us away from safety and moves us toward generosity. Jesus did it. He did it. He moved away from safety and he moved to extreme generosity where it took him his life in order to give us what we needed. Somebody told us at a conference one time that this uh, love box here, if, if you flipped it around, on the back it would say risk. In the self boxes over here, if you flip them around, on the back it would say safe. See the correlation? If I'm about myself, I'm going to play it safe because I want to keep what's mine to me. But if I'm about love, I'm willing to risk what I have to be generous with others. So a loving relationship moves us out of isolation and into community. That's what your relationship should be doing, by the way. Look for people who are isolated, who aren't known who matter to nobody because they matter to God. And the body of Christ needs to move to the people who matter to God. And by the way, lost people and all people matter to God. Loving relationships move us beyond the surface and toward depth and honesty. Have you had a surface relationship for far too long? 
Have you been thinking about maybe breaking the ice and maybe talking a little bit more deeply with somebody? Go for it. Go for it. That's what Jesus did. That's what he wants us to do. And then loving relationships move us away from safety and toward generosity. And all of this, all of this is dependent on one thing, that at the beginning, we said yes to Jesus Christ. We said, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be your disciple. And that now informs everything else we do. All our relationship with Jesus defines all our other relationships. And they're defined by love. That's the active ingredient. And this is the call to discipleship, being a follower of Jesus. When I said I do to my wife 31 years ago, it had a profound impact on the way I would live my life and the relationships that I would have. When we say I do to Jesus, it should have a profound impact. And the number one marker should be that of love as we practice it in so many different relationships. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you that Jesus Christ was generous and risked everything to give us what we needed, to be generous with us, to take our sins away, and to trade our sin for his righteousness. Lord, this week I pray that you would help us as a body of believers as we go out from here and we go throughout the community of Newton and surrounding communities, as we go to our workplaces and our schools, uh, our neighborhoods, the community organizations. God, may we be the church that is willing to develop loving relationships with the people that you bring into our path, with those divine appointments that you give to us with the people, God, that you are calling us to love. Help us to be your body, the body of Christ, making a difference in our world. Help us, God, to bring kingdom values, and in so doing, have your kingdom come right here on earth as it is in heaven. Help us to do that, God, through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.